Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Episode 96 of Suncast. And we're going to collect the bids, but when we rank and score all those bids and present the top three back to you and have a conversation about the equipment, the warranties, the, the installer, everything that's involved, we don't make any more money if you choose a premium system. We won't make any less if you choose you know, the base system. Our only interest is in getting the homeowner the best deal for them. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back, Solar Warrior, to Suncast. I am your host, Nico Johnson, and I'm so glad that you're back with me again this week, fighting the good fight, defending our right to transition to clean energy. Every week, Suncast provides tomorrow's clean tech leaders with insight and ammunition to carry you through your daily battles. Thank you for tuning in and get ready for your weekly mental tune-up. Today, we're going to round out our discussion with Mr. Kyle Cherry, Head of Business Development for Pick My Solar. If you missed last week's episode, then you might want to consider going back and catch that one as it's actually part one of this two-part interview. And we go over a lot of the foundations and early pivots in Kyle's career that led to his startup career, including how he eventually merged his company with Pick My Solar. But first, today and this month is brought to you on Suncast by CPS America, also known as Chent Power Systems. They are the U.S. market share leader for three-phase string inverters with over two gigawatts shipped in America. CPS is known for feature-rich, high-performance inverters and its nimble service team supporting CNI and utility applications. If you are worried about your current inverter supplier, or maybe you're just sticking with legacy leaders, then would you take a look at CPS? They're investing in America, and you can count on them. And as I mentioned before, since you are now at InterSolar, you should swing by the second level of the show. They've got the largest booth here at InterSolar. So go check them out and let them know you heard about it on Suncast. Today on Suncast, we are going to continue to unpack Kyle's story, and this time turning the focus more squarely on his current project, Pick My Solar. Kyle managed to launch and fund his previous venture, Solar Merchant, while full-time employed and getting his MBA. We go into his mindset, his counselors, as well as all the regular insights that you are used to gleaning from entrepreneurs here on Suncast. So stay tuned to learn how Pick My Solar earned its early strategic partnership with none other than Google. Details about Kyle's decision to merge Solar Merchant into the Pick My Solar team, why their offering is unique among the solar sales platforms, and Kyle's superpower, along with much sound wisdom he received from both mentors and books. 
And one last request before we get into today's episode. If you believe in the value of what Suncast brings to the world, please head over to mysuncast.com and subscribe to the mailing list. Then click on that Become a Member button to learn how you can become more involved in the Suncast tribe. All right, Solar Warrior, thanks again for setting aside this time in your day. Please enjoy this week's episode of Suncast, a powerful part two with solar leader and entrepreneur, Kyle Cherick. So how did you choose Pick My Solar? How'd that come about? I looked at what the Pick My Solar guys had done, and they were two years into this. They only raised one really small round of funding. They bootstrapped a lot of it. They'd gone through the grind of really kind of hashing out exactly what the business model was and, and trying to think about product market fit. They actually went through the Sunshot Catalyst process. They went through the same one that we went with. So we were in like the same class together, and we both won Sunshot Catalyst at the same time. Wow. And they were just starting to get a little bit of momentum coming out of the gate. Around the same time, they landed Google Project Sunroof. They were one of the original launch partners for that. Wow. And that really was a feather in their cap to their credit because the original launch partners were all mostly just national solar installers. And Pick My Solar was the entire long tail of the industry, right? We have we have over, you know, many installers who bid on our platform and Google partnered with Pick My Solar because they brought a whole bunch of installers to them. So it was a great partnership. And so we looked at that and said, look, they've already got steady flow of leads. They've got some infrastructure. They've got some tech team involved. They've got some sales on the residential side. I can go there and help them grow and we can, you know, build this together essentially. At this time, just so I'm clear, was it just you for Solar Merchant? Was it a solo deal? I did have a team and we were one colleague in the industry that I knew that was working on it with me. And I'd gotten one of my smartest colleagues in my MBA program at Babson, very entrepreneurial guy at Intel. We had a little bit of a team at that point. Yeah, right. You self-funded and you'd gotten some of the sunshot. Pick my solar, as you mentioned, had gone and gotten money. Why not at this point, you have a fledging sort of side hustle that looks like it has legs. Why not just sell it, get some more cash, still keep investing, finish your MBA. You got a great job at Chint. Kind of walk me through the thought process you have that ended up being effectively a merger with the two companies. But I'm really curious as to the mechanics of how you decided on the pathway you chose. What I liked was the opportunity to accelerate the plan we already had. And it was, hey, if this is our long-term vision, then we can pair up with this team and we can accelerate this 18 months or 24 months really quickly. And that was the real reason is, is you know, our forces together are, are stronger than, than standing alone. And, and I do think that time is very valuable in a fast moving market. So it was, let's do it together. Was it sort of an aqua hire? Is it 50-50 merger? Are you, are you at liberty to talk about that? I would say, you know, more of a, an acquisition of a really early stage team with right. some funding and a little bit of IP and a, and a plan and some, some talent. We weren't sitting on a big investment and we weren't sitting on a bunch of revenue or anything like that or a bunch of, you know, hot leads. So right. it was a team with a clear plan and an execution strategy and some DOE funding. We said, hey, let's accelerate this. And if, if our vision and our goals are, are relatively aligned with the Pick My Solar guys, then this is an opportunity to accelerate the whole plan. How do you transition into that new role? You had this discussion with your wife. 
first of all, you got to leave now. You've got to make a decision. Going to leave Chant, right? I presume yeah. that's part of it. Had this discussion with your wife. Like, I don't think I want to be number one. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Perhaps it's maybe how you were thinking of it. How do you position yourself now in this new entity that is not your baby anymore? Yeah. And that was really important in kind of the discussion and the negotiations of that. I mean, it took about four months for us to do the negotiations of how this was all going to work and how we would come in and things like that. So it was important for me, you know, I'm, I'm a, a board observer at, at Pick My Solar. It's a very small board. It's only a three-person board. So it's really just being at the table, you know, we're making all these decisions together and we're talking about the future, you know, full open book. So that was important to me. You know, the other thing, I, I guess, getting back to your point about Chint, and it kind of comes up a lot lately, I really did want to make sure that I left the CPS team and, and the Invect team with Ed and Casey on really, really good terms. You know, I'm sure some of this was a, a bit of a surprise for them, but I was fairly open about what I was, you know, going through with the NBA project. And then, you know, once we won the big award, I, I let them know, hey, this is kind of happened and I got to figure out what I'm going to do with it. And then once the decision had been made to go in to pick my solar, I made sure that with the Pick My Solar guys, I said, look, you know, these are great allies for us and I'm going to make sure that I leave on a good terms. And so it was actually about a three month period where I was essentially full time on both. And so I didn't do like a two weeks I'm out type thing. I did both jobs for another about three months and continued supporting my my CPS clients and, you know, traveling with the CPS guys to, you know, different customers and events and conferences and gave them a little bit of a longer runway to identify some more team members that they could bring on to, you know, fill in the, in the gap. Because it does take time to hire good people and find good people and put in a transition plan. And, and you know, if you, if you just, you know, sit your two or two weeks, you know, sometimes people are just like, all right, well, just be gone because I got to figure this thing out on my own, you know. Totally. Was there anything else that was important for you that was core to the negotiation of the merger between the two entities? The thing about it is we definitely, like I said, four months is not a short negotiation. The thing about it is if your visions are aligned, you can't know all the answers at the beginning. And so you just have to be willing to say, this could be something really dynamic. I mean, what I really wanted, what I was most attracted to was changing the industry for the better and lowering the barrier to rapidly increasing renewable energy adoption. And that's both residential and commercial. So the fact that we were both really aligned on that made it really clear that, okay, we don't know what this journey is going to look like. You know, yeah, there's some basic things that I need in order to jump on this boat, but we have the same vision for rapidly advancing the adoption of renewable energy and lowering the barriers using technology to do that as fast as possible. And so that made it a no brainer. One of the things that I think is an antecedent to the growth of the industry is the ability to attack what you've mentioned in our last episode as the long tail. I'm intrigued by companies that are able to focus on the long tail and are able to create a carve out a place for themselves that attracts those businesses. Not that sells hardcore to them, but that pulls them in and gives them a seat at the table where they otherwise don't have access to the market the way that a solar city or a Vivint or others might here in the U.S. How did Pick My Solar get that access? What's the vision there? And, and maybe in so telling, you can explain a bit about the business model, the business plan for Pick My Solar, how it perhaps differentiates from peers like Energy Sage 
perhaps even start about defining the long tail, who that is, why that's important. So pick my solar, the mistake people make is they, they think we do lead generation. And that's probably because, you know, we are most similar to Energy Sage and they are a lead generation marketplace. With other platforms, you can, you can go on, you can get some information, you get some education, and you can solicit bids from installers. But then as soon as you want to actually talk to someone, basically your contact information is released to all of the bidders who then all start calling you to try to close the deal. And we looked at that and just said, we think that's a terrible customer experience. We think that that has the potential to, to scare away a lot more customers because they're turned off by you know, getting scammed or, or getting just nonstop sales calls or high pressure sales environment to try and close the deal before somebody else gets in there. So we wanted to create the most optimal solar sales experience possible. And so for us, it was about, okay, come in, use really easy tools to get quick estimation of what the economics of solar look like for you as a homeowner. If you're interested at that point, let's sign you up on the platform. Let's schedule a call with an energy advisor. And that energy advisor's only interest is in getting you the best deal for you. We're going to design your system. We're going to look at your usage, your roof, your panel. We're going to get pictures. We're going to go through the whole process and we're going to collect the bids. But when we rank and score all those bids and present the top three back to you and have a conversation about the equipment, the warranties, the, the installer, everything that's involved, we don't make any more money if you choose a premium system. We won't make any less if you choose you know, the base system. Our only interest is in getting the homeowner the best deal for them. And that's where we're really positioned on the side of the homeowner and the customer. And that won over big partnerships. That won over people like Google Projects Sunroof. I would even say potentially the medium tail, right? Because you have 5,000 solar installers in the nation and the bottom 2,500 are two guys, a truck and a credit card. We really targeted kind of number 10 through number 250, right? They've got to be multiple crews, established, you know, multiple years in business, profitable, great reviews on Yelp, on online. They're getting most of their business from referrals and they don't really have the opportunity to walk into Google and say, you should partner with us. We're great because we're the best in Sacramento, you know, or something like that. So it started there and then we expanded it as we brought on additional partnerships, particularly with the utilities. The regional installer relationship to utility is actually quite strong. Like they're quite friendly, right? Utilities are very interested in local economic development and helping out the local businesses in their area. They would much prefer to support that network of high quality vetted installers than they would necessarily potentially to bring in, you know, a national who's going to strong arm and do everything their way and bring in crews from out of area or whatever it might be. And so, as we brought on utility partnerships like Con Edison New York, which we launched in September of last year as the official solar marketplace of Con Edison, we came to them and said, you know, we have a great network of really high quality installers in your area. We've pre-vetted them. We're doing the selling. So your customers aren't going to be aggressively sold something they don't need or don't need to pay for. So there's a lot of consumer protection pieces there. It gave all those installers a platform to reach a whole new base of customers that they may not have been able to, to reach, you know, compete as easily against a, a Vivint or a, a Tesla Solar City. I want to ask a little bit more of some personal questions again, getting back to how you contribute to not just this company, but the industry. What would you say is your superpower? Yeah, so it's interesting, you know, going back to conversations with my wife, she's gotten really into some of these personality test programs, you know, they all did strength finders. And I actually really like strength finders because it's really easy to understand. 
And, you know, it's really easy to kind of speak that language amongst, you know, your team and, and understand the strengths. So my number one strength is woo, which stands for winning others over. Uh, and so if you had to ask me what my superpower is, I kind of feel like that might be a good one. That's a great answer. When you look at the progress and the time invested for return on, I would say even maybe satisfaction, that's not a metric we look at yet, but how long do you feel like it really took before you started getting what you might call traction in the market? I would really say that we had some nice wins along the way, but we're really dialing in this growth with our partnership and our unique platform that we bring to utilities. There really is no other solution like ours for utilities. And it is a powerful thing for their customer engagement, for how happy their customers are with the services that they provide. And that is really resonating with the utilities. And we really believe that it's going to be quite popular. Last month, we launched the Orlando Utilities Commission, a program called OU Collective Solar. And we've got several more utilities set to launch soon. And I think it's going to be something that really does kind of catch fire a little bit. And, and then as soon as we launched Residential Rooftop, we started working on additional products for that marketplace with utilities. Actually, just this month, we just launched Community Solar as well in New York with Con Edison. And Community Solar is particularly attractive to a lot of utilities just because it, it kind of works within a lot of what they do. It, it sort of just looks like a different rate plan that their customers are on. Right. And so getting back to that tenant landlord situation that I wanted to solve from the beginning, Community Solar is a great solution for commercial, for renters. You know, our customer list that we're targeting with some of these utilities is four times larger than the ones that are eligible for rooftop single family home and duplex owners. Yeah. We talked about this on my episode with JW Postal. He was a huge advocate within the Minnesota market and the Colorado market for community solar. That was where I began to understand the impact that community solar can have in particular, as you mentioned, for penetrating the commercial market where folks can't or won't put it on their roof. Help me understand, I don't quite understand the product, the value that you bring to the utility. As the utility business models change and they're getting attacked from all sides, right? They got CCAs, community choice aggregation is rising. They've got utility regulators that are kind of breathing down their necks. Number one, they need to maintain their relationship with customers, no matter what the customer does with their energy. And solar provides an opportunity to actually almost get into the home more than just, you know, we slap a meter on your, on your home. You start to expand the conversation quite quickly. So it's solar, battery, EV charging, smart thermostat, smart rate plans, time of use pricing. It's a whole conversation. And, you know, for us, solar is our entry point, but it quickly becomes a much larger discussion. And so a lot of that takes handholding with customers that utilities don't necessarily want to do. They also want to maintain, you know, third party, uh, you know, they want to maintain independence, right? We're not forcing anything down anyone's throat, but if they're interested in smart home tech or clean tech on their home or battery or EV charging, we have a solution where they can walk down a path, do a needs analysis of, what do you need for your home and your situation? And here's multiple quotes and multiple bids from pre-qualified installers for a right solution for you. I understand that that's the value of Pick My Solar. I understand that the utility would want to be able to own that conversation. But you're two different companies. How does the utility leverage your platform? I guess that's what I don't understand is how does your program with the utility work? And how does the utility leverage that platform to somehow maintain a sense of 
propriety and control within their market, or as you put it, gain customer advocacy and customer protection? Well, I mean, we do share a referral fee, you know, with the utilities because there's some joint marketing work and they're driving, uh, helping us drive some of the traffic via various campaigns. I don't think that's a primary motivator for them, realistically. There's a lot of data that they get access to in terms of what are consumers buying habits, where is this thing going and what's happening behind the meter. It's about providing more customer choice because that's what a lot of the threats to the utility model are centered around is, you know, utility customers don't have any choice, right? They just have to buy power from the utility. And to the extent that utilities can be seen to actually be providing customer choice to customers, they can maintain their position as whether it be just the wires company and they're delivering community solar over the lines or providing, you know, grid access, even if you've got solar on a net metering tariff or down the road, maybe it's buying and selling that power from the customer in, you know, if they've got a battery or they've got demand response or they've got, you know, things in the future. Are you taking a page out of, say, the O-Power playbook to partner with the utility? You're a, you're a flyer that comes in the bill from uh, the utility, their customers saying, now you've got options? To some degree, yeah. I think the whole industry sees that we are moving towards a transactive grid. And in the future, there will be many buyers and sellers. It's not going to be, you know, few large central generation sellers of electricity to a few utilities who then sell to everyone, right? There's going to be many people playing in the market because we have so much intelligence in every device and in the internet and in servers that we can leverage to, you know, build the grid of the future. And that's going to look a lot different. And utilities are looking to keep all their customers engaged as that transition happens so that they're not left on the sidelines in any ways. And, and I don't think they will be. I think they will be central players in the grid of the future. That is quite an insightful and helpful answer, especially around the idea of transactive energy and the role of a utility moving forward. It actually plays very nicely. It's transitioning into a segment that you're probably familiar with as a listener called Hot or Hype. I will name a specific market or topic and you can give me 30 or 60 seconds on whether or not you think it's hot or hype and why. We'll start, as you always do, with microgrids. Are microgrids hot or hype? I'm not a huge microgrid fan. I, I think that it's incredibly expensive to really run a full microgrid and you only really want to do it if you're truly in an island scenario in which your alternative is to burn diesel. I think that market is, is actually definitely getting hot. But in terms of markets that are grid connected and you have the opportunity to be grid connected, it's not so much about I want to have my own microgrid and break away from the utility, although there is some desire from that from some consumers. It's more so about the grid of the future is about how much of of an energy asset, a controllable energy asset, can you bring to the grid of the future and to the new marketplace? So you know, you may have solar, you may have a battery, you may have a, a controllable EV charger, smart EV charging station, you may have a smart water heater, you may have a smart thermostat. All of this is controllable demand, smart plugs. And the larger that asset is, whether it be a home, a strip mall, a commercial office, you know, a campus, a army base, you know, a university, if you can run it as a microgrid, then you're now dropping load off of the grid the larger grid. And as we move into a highly renewable future, that becomes incredibly valuable because there's no fuel costs to taking that off to the grid. 
but there's value because we have renewables and we have demand at different times and we need to match them up. This also presumes that in the renewables grid of the future, there's no such thing as a standby charge, right? There's no spending reserves. There's no, as you mentioned, fuel costs. There's no power up wait time, standby time or lost energy simply to keep an asset running so that it can provide instantaneous power. Right, which is what a grid of the future with a lot of distributed batteries probably looks like. And not only distributed batteries, but controllable demand, because you can send those signals extremely quickly and it can black start, you know, in a half a second. Yeah, yeah. We could probably do an entire episode just on this topic. So let's move to the next one, which actually fits well within the uh, category of controllable assets. Hot or hype, the nexus of renewables and the electrification of the automobile industry. Yeah, I'm a huge, hot fan of this. You know, I literally remember reading the original Tesla blog in like 0405, maybe uh, around then when they were literally laying out the original plan. It was literally just Elon and JB and a couple others. And I was like, I mean, this makes perfect sense. I mean, I remember it had the same thought when I read the technology and, and dug into the technology on cadmium telluride, you know, thin film panels, right? You're talking about going from like a seven-step crystal and silicon solar panel manufacturing process with various partners and all these inefficiencies to you put a piece of glass in one end and out comes the other end, a finished module two and a half hours later. That's a step change, you know, in, in cost and efficiency and all these things. I think the same, the same is true for electric vehicles is the arbitrage between the cost of electricity as a fuel source in a highly efficient electric engine in a you know motor in, a, in an electric vehicle at 90% plus efficient versus a 30% efficient gas is going to absolutely just take over. I mean, we're already seeing it in the plans that are being put together for the rideshare companies that are, you know, leasing electric vehicles and using high, high capacity charging stations to gas up during lunch. And they're driving, you know, seven to 9,000 miles a month. And they're doing it at very little charging cost. Personally, I've been frustrated with the hype around hydrogen and the fact that we've, I think, put way too much R&D into that. And I think that electricity is everywhere. It's already everywhere, whether it's 120 volt or level two charging, or it's just everywhere. And so I think it's going to go electric really fast and really strong. I'm talking city buses, school buses, trash machines, you know, semis, cars. And that pairs into the other thing that I keep saying to everyone is like, people don't understand solar PV is going to be everywhere. It's going to be on your backpacks, on your clothes, on your little battery. It's going to be on your car. It's going to be on your building. It's going to be on your roof tile. It's going to be everywhere. It's this super easy way to add a lot of value to any product because you're now producing electricity, you're storing a little battery, and you're charging whatever you need to charge, and it's immediate value add to a product. I love when I get really passionate answers for these questions. So thank you for that. That was, uh, I, I couldn't agree more on every point. Hot or not, blockchain as it relates to energy? Still too early to tell. Just today, an announcement came out of a company exiting Stealth that won a large number of demand response contracts, and they actually in the like in the headline or something they like claim to be a blockchain company and then you literally dig into the article and the guys literally say yeah we're not actually using blockchain yet and we don't plan to in the near future but we theoretically could down the line this is a 
smart computers, APIs, and relationships between companies and buyers and sellers. Now, there's certainly some promise in the future of smart contracts and the ability to, you know, say, bid in a, a demand curve and say, I'm willing to turn off my power for this much money. And you, know, you have many buyers with you know, many sellers with, with different curves you know, you can certainly put together a business model that says this might actually be valuable to the market. And then you've got to, you know, send notifications to all those people and, and do it all in real time. So there, and there's security issues. So there, there's potentially some blockchain applications there and distributed ledger and all this stuff, but it's really early and it's right now, it's a lot of hype and we're, we're seeing very few actual valuable use cases that are being done. You know, there was one microgrid in Brooklyn that did a little tiny pilot that I think also, you know, claims to be blockchain, but how much it's actually blockchain yet is somewhat questionable. So it's just really early. And I think um, definitely keep an eye on this space. I think there will be investment in this space. I think that utilities through, you know, their aggregated venture arms or through their independent venture arms will make some investments. And that's smart because they're taking a flyer on the future and, you know, what it's going to look like and they're going to be involved in some way. Solar plus storage. I have a feeling I know which way you're going to swing here, but is solar and storage hot or hype? Yeah, solar and storage is, is really hot. I don't know if it was the GTM guys who coined it or something, but, you know, storage is the bacon that makes everything better. That's Absolutely true. Storage and, you know, having a smart device in the home that can control other loads potentially, it just unlocks a world of potential value and controllability because, look, realistically, shedding load is actually painful. I mean, I'm a demand response, you know, a participant in my home and most of the demand response hours are between 7 and 9 p.m. when we want to have dinner, we want to watch the show, we want to watch the game, we want to movie, we want to hang out, you know it's painful to actually turn off a whole bunch of stuff during those hours. But what you're doing is really unlocking the value of the battery is that right now, if battery serves only for backup purposes, realistically, there's not that many places people will pay for that. I mean, there's, there's storm places that get hit by storms. And there's no doubt there's value to having a backup battery once every three years when a big storm comes through and the whole grid goes down for, you know, a week or two and solar paired with a battery can get you through the night and then charge up in the morning to power your critical loads. You know, in California, we don't have a ton of power outages. And that's true of a lot of parts of the country. And so if you can have a battery for backup, but then, and maybe keep a portion of that for backup, but then be playing, you know, in demand response and deploying your battery and deploying power to the grid as a virtual power, you know, either a virtual power plant or an independent participant, that's pretty powerful. And, you know, solar and, and batteries just go really well together that way. I mean, the time of use rates in California that IOUs, you know, the four to nine window, right, is, is the time when the, the, you have, you know, you can charge that, that battery potentially for seven cents a kilowatt hour and you can discharge it for 49 cents. And that's a big, big arbitrage opportunity there. So it's definitely hot. Storage is the bacon that makes everything better. I'll have to go look that uh, attribution up, but I love it. And I'll certainly be using it myself now. That's an excellent response to, to solar and storage. And I'd love to hear your answer for the final hot or hype, given that it is a, it was a core piece of your early entry into the business. The CNI market, is the CNI market the new hot market for U.S. solar or is it pure hype? I think there's some great things going on in CNI. I think that it will continue to be a tough market to crack. It is 
extremely complex. There's so many more factors that, you know, utility scale and residential are both highly replicable, right? Get a piece of land, secure an interconnection position, make sure you can permit it, and you will likely find a buyer for sub four cent power and a long-term buyer. You know, slap a battery on that and you can sell it at any time of the day and that's really valuable. The same is true for residential, right? Every house looks the same. You're offsetting retail power, even as net metering, you know, goes through various iterations. There's still a lot of power in having on-site solar and, and every home basically looks the same, right? There's two decision makers and they sleep in the same bed together. So it's a really quick conversation. Commercial is much more complicated and, you know, knowing what I know now, it makes a lot more sense. Number one, why there is this standardization around the power purchase agreement because it's just a really easy solution. It's, hey, you're paying X, you can pay X minus 10% with a low escalator or no escalator, yes or no, take it or leave it. But you have the rise of a lot of the CNI market are savvy business owners that are investing it themselves and they are investing in their own businesses and they are looking for sources of capital like Wonder Capital is providing where it's you know, a really simple debt product that they can handle and they can bite off and they're comfortable with that risk now that solar is an understood asset class. And all these business owners, by the way, have had solar on their home for five years and it's saving them money and they're going, why am I not doing this for my business? But you still have the tenant landlord issues, you still have roof issues, you still have, you know, 20 years is a long time for any business. And so for that reason, I think that community solar is a really nice bridge builder and kind of fill that gap and make it really easy to be a solution for a really wide audience of potential energy users. I love that you answered my question about commercial industrial with a segue in the community solar. <laughs> Only Kyle Cherick. I love it. So we have spent a lot of time in the last hour plus together, Kyle, talking about lessons learned, but I do feel like there's some stuff that we could still unpack and I don't want to skip over my typical section called lessons learned. So I want to ask some of those questions to you and, and I'll ask you to think about maybe outside of the solar industry, maybe back in your you know early life or career. Can you reflect on some key lessons or takeaways that you've brought forward from some of the most important mentors in your life? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, kind of taking a, a big step back. I actually go back to something I remember, you know, my dad telling me about his conversations with his father. You know, my grandfather was a store controller for Sears Roebuck and then an, an area controller on the financial side for Sears Roebuck, making sure that multiple stores were going well. And he often would kind of operate as one of their fixers, right? He would kind of travel around to a store that was having, you know, financial control problems or just wasn't doing very well and, and help get them turned around. He had conversations with my dad and has passed on to me. And I think it's actually been pretty wise sage advice. I mean, I love working on the West Coast. You know, literally, I had a meeting today with a fairly important party and I put on a you know, pair of dark jeans, a dress shirt and grabbed a, a nice, you know, jacket. And that's suitable uh, to go into a, a professional meeting on the West Coast. And I thank God I don't work on Wall Street personally, where, you know, it's not always that laid back. But I guess I would say, you know, when you're young in your career, if you want to be a leader and you want to garner respect when you walk into a room and you want to be able to add your opinion and have it be respected, number one, know what you're talking about. Number two, like, like don't, don't let anybody be more well-read or understand, you know, the topic you're talking about. And if you don't, you know, make sure to just hold it, try to hold it in. But number two is, is actually dress the part, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost funny because like, you know, I, I've definitely worked in startups, worked in very casual environments, but Anytime you have a meeting with an outside party 
or even trying to, you know, move up internally and, and gain respect, you know, show up and look good. Look maybe a level above what everyone else is dressing. If you want to be that person who's given more responsibility or their ideas are respected and things like that. It's a little bit old school, but I think it, it was actually a recent study that I saw that shows this is actually the case is that you're more likely to get promoted in your career, you know, depending on how you dress and things like that. And so it impacts people and, and how they think about you as much as we wish that we were judged on our you know, value of our ideas and things like that. Yeah. And impressions in particular, first impressions are very real, certainly in uh, the early part of your career. So one of the things that I find a lot of entrepreneurs don't get a chance to really talk about, even though they surely reflect on it a lot, is the broken bones, the skin, knees, the knocked out teeth. In that regard, you know, not everything goes the way you expect it to. Could you reflect for me a minute on a left turn, a dead end, perhaps, that affected or influenced your career or life and how you overcame it? You know, we hit on a little bit earlier. We mentioned, you know, the time that I left Sun Edison in the the last episode. And certainly there was a period after that where I did feel a little bit of that. Didn't see this coming fully. You know, I'm not exactly sure where I want to go now. It's interesting. My friend Ben Kaznoka wrote a book with uh, Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. It's kind of about, you know, the work culture of the new generation and some of the things that have come out of Silicon Valley. And they talk about this concept of, of tours of duty, right? That you know, you're going to be somewhere and you're going to, you're going to want to be all in for a certain period of time. And then, you know, you may have a new tour of duty and, and that, that may be uh, voluntary or involuntary. You know, I also mentioned earlier, you know, you know, leave on good terms, right? Transitions are easier when you leave on good terms and it's not always easy. Be all in until you're not. And when you're not, you know, be authentic and open about, okay, I'm kind of, I'm needing to make a move here, or I'm going to make a move, or I'm now a free agent and need to kind of start to talk to mentors or my work, my network. And the other thing is like, your network is incredibly valuable, especially as a young person, because you look at the people that are the more advanced leaders in the industry and they know everybody, right? And the faster you can develop that, uh, those relationships, the more valuable you are in the industry. And so, when those times come, make sure that you've been investing in a network of people so that you can say, hey, you know, I'm a free agent. I'm exploring my options. You know, can I come sit down and just, you know, pick your brain and grab coffee and learn about what you guys are doing? You, you guys are doing something kind of interesting. I don't know if there's anything there, but, you know, I'm kind of interested. To have those conversations that aren't necessarily, hey, can you give me a job? You know, are you guys hiring? Yeah, you mentioned that earlier as well, which I think is really critical to learn early in your career to, as they say, dig the well before you need water. It's the same philosophy in finance, right? Go get a loan before you need the loan. Get qualified before you need it. If you make those deposits, it forms a part of the social contract that you have with the folks surrounding you who, because you continue to provide value, it's natural for them to want to help you. What book have you given away the most? I'm a big book fan. I, I'm actually, you know, readers are leaders. Uh, I hope listeners are leaders as well because I've really gotten into audiobooks. Um, <laughs> my wife and I listen to a lot of audiobooks. She, she reads like crazy. The book I've given away the most is actually Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, and it's all about personal finance. When I was either still in college, I think for maybe a birthday or something or Christmas, my brother gave me this book 
you know, he was, he's five years older than me. He had, you know, started a business previous, uh, you know, during that time and learned a lot of lessons. And, you know, what he wrote in it to me was, look, if I had learned these lessons earlier, I wouldn't have put myself through so much pain. And if you can learn them now, you're going to be way ahead of the game. And so what it talks about is, I'm sure many of you may be familiar with some of Dave Ramsey's baby steps is it's personal finance one-on-one, but it's a really clear action plan. And we think it's, it's almost to the point of being, you know, so simple and straightforward. It's, it's stupid, but very few people actually do it. And so we were in the great recession when Axio Power was, was coming up. We hit times when we didn't know if we were going to make it as a company. And I realized that I'd been married for a year and we weren't living on a budget. We didn't really have control of our debt. Being recent college grads, you know, you start buying cars, you rack up a little bit of credit card debt, you get some, maybe some school debt. It can happen really quickly and you're still on a relatively low income because you're fresh out of school. And we didn't know, okay, if I lose my job in a month because this thing goes under, can we even pay our bills? We really had no idea. And so we, my wife and I, you know, we, we hunkered down and went all in on this. I mean, full gazelle intense, you know, at age 23, like we got to get this stuff figured out because literally it was, it would keep, it'll keep you up at night as yeah, you know. Yeah. And so we went through the whole thing. It was, you know, we already had a baby emergency fund, you know, built a thousand dollars in the bank just to cover in case, you know, the washer goes out or the car goes out. You got to have some money so you don't go straight to credit cards. Or to your parents. <laughs> exactly. Work all your, your debt plan to get out of debt as fast as possible and then build up a three to six a month emergency fund. And that's the, the really key one that I want to hit on is if you are debt free with a six month emergency fund, the world is your oyster. Ain't that the truth? If you are in a job that you just can't stand and you're like, why am I here? I mean, that's, you know, I think Mark Cuban calls it, you know, F you money. See ya. I'm not working at this job anymore. Yeah. And my, you know, my wife and I have those discussions all the time. Like, Hey, uh, how are things going? Not sure if I'm still want to be here. And I always just say to her, look, we got money in the bank. If you want to go pursue another passion or see if there's something else somewhere else, I support you. And she's done the same for me through a lot of ups and downs. We've had that flexibility where we didn't have the financial stress during those periods when, you know, we didn't know when my next paycheck or her next paycheck was going to come in. So that book has been the one I've given away the most and that's had a huge impact on me. So that's the one I'll, I'll recommend. You have referenced green tech media. Obviously you and I grew up in the same solar era. So green tech media is kind of our Oracle what, how else do you stay informed? How do you fill your head with information so that you can lead your team well and so that you can, as you mentioned before, defend your positions, uh, your arguments and uh, your controversies? Yeah, I mean, I definitely read a lot on you know GTM and Utility Dive and some of the other great news sources out there. But I also really, as I mentioned earlier, I've invested a lot of time, as my wife will tell you, in Twitter and LinkedIn. I really started investing more time in Twitter in about 2009. I found it to be a unique place where you could have conversations with people that, you know, you couldn't have on other platforms. They weren't happening elsewhere. So I remember 2009, I was, you know, having conversations with the chief marketing officer at Tesla. Wow. You know, even lately, things like, you know, the the CEOs of companies. I have so many conversations with CEOs of companies on Twitter. Can you give an example? Who's the CEO of a company? I mean, mean, Brian Bursick at at Wonder is a great example. Or, or, uh, you know, my customer at Calcom and their CEO, you know, we had great conversations on Twitter. And when we met up, there was an instant bond there, right? Because we've already got a conversation we have going and we've retweeted each other. We've we've liked each other's tweets. We've acknowledged that we agree with that. or We we see that tweet and we, we, we see what you're talking about here. We like what you're doing, you know quote, tweet, hey, I take this and, 
and, and talk about what's my perspective on that or reply to it. So it's just a whole conversation that I think a lot of people are hesitant to really jump into Twitter and really engage. And then the other one is LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn has come a long ways in, in, in the past few years in improving their, their feed. There was and really still is a lot of you know, garbage content on there. But what I will say to, to all people and the young people especially is I am still shocked at the number of people that send a LinkedIn invite and don't personalize the message, you know, reaching out to people. I mean, I try to do this on 90 plus percent of the connections I reach out to, to make a connection on. Send them a personal note, you know, send them a why would you connect with me? Hey, love what you're doing. Love your company. would love to connect. Let's keep in touch or something like that. Make it personal. Most of the people, if I don't know you and you don't personalize that message, I'm not accepting your, your invite. So it just boggles my mind that people still do that. Sage, sage advice. And, uh, and certainly, unless you are in the camp of uh, just hitting the plus button when it recommends other folks for you, if you're intentionally trying to reach out to someone because you want to network with them rather than just growing to, to 10 or 15,000 followers on LinkedIn, I may or may not have both strategies, then <laughs> you, you do personalize it. And I can tell you, the people that I want to have a conversation with, I personalize that invite because it, it matters. Well, as we go into the home stretch here rounding third base, I'd love to hear what habit or consistent practice has the greatest impact on your life or work. For me, this one goes back a little bit to my faith. And this might be a surprising one for some people. But for me, every night when my wife and I turn off the lights, and I say every night, I try to do it every night, but we, we work on this. I turn to her and I say, hey, how can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, she has an opportunity to just say, you know, here's what's going on in, in my heart or in my life or my work or the things I'm worried about, keeping up, keeping me up at night or whatever, or other people that we're worried about or, or thinking about. And, and I, you know, it's funny, we, we talk all the time, right? But I hear things that I didn't know were stressful for her. And then she says, you know, you know, how can I pray for you? And, and I have the opportunity to just kind of unload, you know, some of the things that are, that are on my heart. And, um, and then I pray. And, and usually by the time I start praying, she's already asleep. And I want to call this out. I do think that there is sleep is becoming a really difficult thing for a lot of people. It's uh, something you got to manage and you got to have great sleep. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ariana Huffington's, you know, sleep is my secret weapon. Yeah. It's, it's, my, it's my drug, right? I'm a huge believer in that. You operate so much better on good sleep. And so just being able to go through that process of out loud talking about what you're dealing with and struggling with. It's funny. I used to say to my wife, you know, what do you got on your plate tomorrow? And she's like, I, I don't want to talk about my day tomorrow. I want to, I'm trying to go to sleep, you know? And this is literally, it's like a different version of the same thing, but we have really good conversations. And then, you know, I pray and, and it's, you know, kind of set, it sets my mind to, to get a good night's sleep. That is sound advice. We mentioned Twitter and LinkedIn. I'll link to both. Uh, but if you want to mention them here, let folks know how they can reach you. And then we'll segue to the last question. Yeah, I mean, certainly at Pick My Solar on Twitter and follow our Facebook page. Uh, we've got a weekly Friday Facebook live show. It's 30 minutes that we do answering solar questions all the time. I'm at Kyle Cherick and Kyle at PickMySolar.com. I would love to connect. How could the Suncast audience help? You know, it's interesting. We get secret shopped on Pick My Solar by a ton of people in the industry. And we always see them come through and go, oh, this is, you know, VP at big, you know, solar company or manufacturer or whatever. But we're not afraid of that. And we don't do anything. We just let them go through our normal process. Yeah. And we just, we want the raw feedback. You know, what was your raw experience? And certainly there's times when occasionally we drop the ball, but by and large, we really feel confident that we have built the best solar shopping experience in the industry. And so 
you know, there's a lot of people in the industry who don't work for an installer themselves and, and have wanted to put solar on somebody's house, their parents. I mean, I literally put my parents' farmhouse, uh, which we inherited, which my ancestors built when we came over in, they came over in 1909 from Europe and we built this farmhouse. I put that, you know, my parents through the marketplace and we put solar on the barn and uh, no you know, they, they had all the same questions that every customer has and we had to walk them through it, you know, and you know, we have great energy advisors. So I would, I would love for you to, you know, secret shop us, give us your feedback, tell us how we can improve. We're always working to improve the platform. We're, we're constantly rolling out new updates and new features. Cool. I'm glad that you said that. Just this morning, I had a call with a good friend of mine, Fred. He is a sometimes listener. So Fred, if you're hearing this, go check out Pick My Solar. Well, finally, <laughs> Kyle, let's end today with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Yeah, I mean, I think it is still early in a bold statement to say every single homeowner, every building owner is going to be both a buyer and a seller of electricity and demand and capacity and frequency support. And there's going to be a transactive grid of the future that is being built right now. And it's still in the early stages but the common consumer doesn't realize it's coming, right? They don't realize that in the future, it's all going to be automated. They're going to make some decisions, you know, either one time forever or, you know, every now and then they're going to log into their energy app. And just like you change your thermostat because you do or don't want to run your AC and pay the money or run your pool pump and pay the money or et cetera, you're going to change your how I buy and sell into the energy market. And it's going to drive more solar adoption because solar is the easiest generation to acquire in a distributed fashion. And it's going to drive smart devices, smart charging, more batteries and smart thermostats and smart plugs. And you're going to have all this controllable demand in your house. And you're going to decide, do I want to turn off all my lights tonight? Or do I want to have friends over and party and, and pay for that electricity? And that's fine. That is going to happen. And it's going to happen faster than people think it will. Well, as the transactive grid becomes a reality, you can bet we will be talking about it here. May have you back to discuss it, Mr. Kyle Cherick of Pick My Solar. Such a pleasure. What an epic opportunity and conversation we've had. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, you bet. I really enjoyed it. Where I think the three things for what's called the energy transition are huge are solar, storage, and blockchain. Yeah, the voice you just heard is not Kyle Cherick. That was Nick Gogarty, founder of SolarCoin. If you like today's interview, then you'll want to tune in again this coming Thursday as we have a real blockchain expert on the show and the conversation gets downright nerdy. Thanks for checking out today's episode, Solar Warriors. And this week, we are here, as I mentioned, at InterSolar in San Francisco. If you are here, I'd love to meet you in person. Please swing by the Alliant Energy booth or hit me up on Twitter. That's at Nico Mayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O. And let's grab some time together. And while I still have your attention, I'd like to say thank you again. The fact that you're still listening means that you really enjoy the work that we're bringing to life. If that's true, would you please consider becoming a member of our Suncast Energy Tribe? Every week now, we are getting new members joining as Patreon monthly subscribers as well as annual members. You can join them. Just go to mysuncast.com forward slash member and check out the details. I look forward to formally welcome you into the tribe. Arms outstretched, my friend. And thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle. <laughs> <laughs>